and it is truly it takes a village right so we have our community connectors our community health advocates that are working with the members and also may even bring them to a doctor's appointment may help them get a specialty service that they need oh absolutely we'll do whatever we have to do to make sure that people are as healthy and have that opportunity because i think there is so much disparity especially in the medicaid population What's the future of health? Join doctors Jessica Shepard, Gotham Galati, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we embark on a conversational journey with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators from the stages of the annual health conference. The goal is to explore the ideas that put humanity at the front and center of our evolving healthcare system. After all, health is about people, isn't it? Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Shepard. On today's episode, we bring you Kristen Cerf, President and CEO of Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan, where we discuss the future of community grassroots efforts and promoting healthcare in the community. Kristen is responsible for ensuring access to quality care for Blue Shield Promise's 530,000 Medi-Cal members in Los Angeles and San Diego counties. She manages the company's Medi-Cal growth strategy and expanding Blue Shield Promise's presence throughout California. Under her guidance, Blue Shield Promise also delivered several initiatives improving access to and availability of person-centered care to California's underinsured, low-income, and medically underserved populations. So with that, let's get the conversation started. Welcome to another session with the official health podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jessica Shepard. And today we have Kristen Surf, who is here with us from Promise Health Plan. One, I love your hair, which we said when we first did our intro, but our hair is amazing. But I wanted to know more about you and what started this health plan and how you've seen it, I guess you can say, shift, change, and get better. So give a little introduction to yourself, who you are, and about Promise Health Plan. Well, my name is Kristen Surf. I'm president and CEO of Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan, and we're a subsidiary of Blue Shield of California. It's a nonprofit company serving almost 5 million members. And Promise is a Medi-Cal or Medicaid health plan in California. We serve over 530,000 members in Los Angeles and San Diego, and it's something that I've wanted to do forever, and I didn't know. I was a lawyer for a very long time. Right before I moved into this role, I was actually the chief legal officer for Promise Health Plan. Go figure that. And I just, I've been in government programs my entire career, be it Medicaid, be it Medicare, working with the duals population. And it's just something that sits so close to my heart. I've had a lot of lived experience in this space and I just love serving communities. And so the opportunity came up for me to move into this role. And I did just in time for the pandemic. I started in February of 2020. Look at you, it's timing. I know, right? It's always a great time to make a career change when you have things like that going on. And what I really did was super connect me to the community that we serve and to my staff who are absolutely phenomenal. Um, we're a nonprofit mission-based company. So I get the gift of getting up every single day and thinking about the folks that I work with in the community that we serve and how we can work to make people have the best possible health outcomes in their lives every single day. Now, as a nonprofit, how does that change, I guess, maybe some of the 
legalities and also the systems process of how you impact patients? Does it make it more challenging? Does it make it the availability to really touch people in a different way from maybe for profit? What does that look like? I think personally, having worked on both sides of the equation, that it gives me the opportunity and my staff the opportunity to touch our members in a different way. And we get to have a lot more fun Mm -hmm. because we have a lot more money to reinvest in the communities that we serve. And so we get to do such fun, amazing projects. We've actually done a first of its kind partnership with a competitor, LA Care Health Plan, where we've gotten together and said, you know what, in Los Angeles, the thing that matters is how healthy people are. It really doesn't matter how many members you have or how many members we have. It's about uplifting and supporting communities. So we, right around the time of the pandemic, actually had invested somewhere in the neighborhood of $146 million to stand up 14 brick and mortar community resource centers staffed by both of us in 100% partnership and collaboration to do nothing but welcome anyone from the community through the doors of these centers. Doesn't matter if you're a member or not. Doesn't matter if you're on Medicaid or not. Just matters that you need help and you come in and we'll help you. We have community connectors that will help connect folks to things like housing, meal services, transportation, other community-based organizations that may be able to serve a particular need that they have, legal aid, the ombudsman's office. I mean, the list goes on and on Wow, and and how many centers? We have 12 open right now. We're a little bit delayed due to the pandemic. No, the fact that you have 12 is 11 more than I can even imagine. So that's phenomenal work. Is it more of the grassroots approach that really you think inspires people more to take ownership of, say, their health is because they have the support and the care? I think so. And I think one of the things that's so important to both us and LA Care is that we hire staff from the communities where these resource centers are built. So they are truly trusted partners, trusted advisors. They're connected. They understand what the needs of their communities are. They've grown up there. They've raised their children in these communities. And so when people come through the doors, it feels like coming home because it is a community member. It is part of your family. And I think, you know, we could have all the technology in the world. Technology isn't going to make someone go get a preventative care visit, is not going to go make someone get a mammogram, is not going to get that blood pressure reading or that blood sugar level. Walking in and having a relationship with a community connector, community health advocate, or a community worker does it almost every time. Now, how do the relationships that you build and the integration of community, truly community, into these patients now merge into the managed care portion of that? So Medicaid, Medi-Cal in California is such a diverse population. could be anyone at any time, at any stage of life. You could have different cultural racial backgrounds. You can have different needs. We could also have very complicated situations where you have grandparents on Medicare. Maybe mom is on Covered California. Kids are enrolled in Medicaid. And it's complicated. It's not an easy system to use. And at the end of the day, it's all about making sure that every single person that is our member, and honestly, the communities that we also are working in, have access to care that understand how to go to a doctor who understand how to that we can provide transportation so that they can get there and to truly make meaning about this is why mammograms are important this is why we need to check your blood sugar this is why we need to check and see if maybe you're pre-diabetic because oh by the way we also have cooking classes and we can help you and your kids learn how to cook in a more healthy way especially when you're maybe on public assistance or getting CalFresh, which is our food stamp program in California, so that you know what kind of food you can quickly and easily purchase, make, get on the table. Because, I mean, 
many of our members are actually working multiple jobs. And I think that that's something that maybe people don't realize about folks on Medicaid. And, you know, just to give you a context for the magnitude, one third of all Californians are enrolled in Medi-Cal. One third. Half, wow, that more is than staggering. half the kids. One third. Mm-hmm. Now, what I have seen, you know, working in very big cities, rather, academic centers as a clinician, that's where we were missing our patients the most, is we can provide the medical advice and what's needed to diagnose, but a lot was the relationship and having being a true partner in the sense of some of the things in their everyday life and connecting them with that way. How has the Promise Health Plan managed to make direct correlation with, I guess you can say the health outcomes from a a clinical perspective, from the healthcare providers that they see? How do you integrate that? So we partner very closely with our providers, be it the, the back office, the front office, or the providers themselves. It is truly, it takes a village, right? So we have our community connectors, our community health advocates that are working with the members and also may even bring them to a doctor's appointment, may help them get a specialty service that they need. Oh, absolutely. We'll do whatever we have to do to make sure that people are as healthy and have that opportunity because I think there is so much disparity, especially in the Medicaid population. We saw it through COVID, right? When you look at who was, you know, suffering and who was passing away, it was truly in the Medicaid space more than anything and also in our Native American and Indigenous population. And so it's truly about that. How do you bring everything together and... There are so many amazing community-based organizations and charitable organizations that are operating every day in the community that we serve. We also could like bring them to the table as well in partnership so that the information that we're sharing is consistent. It's culturally appropriate. It's in languages that our members are going to understand. They're preferred written and spoken, which by the way, may not be the same language every single time. Absolutely. Now I have heard of models similar to this. I remember one in New York specifically where they were having high rates of breast cancer. And so what they did was change more to a community program of bringing the screening to the community and finding ways to use people within the community to advocate for their fellow community members. And they immediately saw that decrease as far as early detection, being able to diagnose. So we know that these types of programs and models work. What do you think is the hindrance from us seeing this across all states to the degree of what you've done currently? I think there's a couple things. The first and the biggest in my mind is that California, along with several other states, have sort of led the Medicaid space in terms of what they cover in their program, what benefits are included, the populations that we serve. I think in California, we've expanded Medicaid as far as you could possibly expand it. We've brought in so many populations during the course of the pandemic. We're even serving the undocumented right now. And our last group will be the justice involved as folks transition from incarceration to being out on parole. So we are really covering the gamut here. And we also have this benefit. I think it's had a couple different names. People call it community supports. They call it in lieu of services. And instead of these things being value adds, they're actually core to our program. 
And so while a regulator doesn't call them benefits per se, there are things like housing assistance, being able to help you make a deposit on your apartment, making sure that you can have access to medically tailored meals if those are things that you need. And all of this is rolled up in a very ambitious umbrella called California Advancing and Innovating in Medi-Cal. I know we love You guys love a lot of words in your titles. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm trying not to use the acronyms because everyone right. throws around CalAIM. Yeah. In a population health model that we're rolling out right now, where every single member in the Medicaid space is identified as low, medium, or high risk, and they receive different services and supports based on what's going on with them and their risk and their need. And so this is truly the intersection of getting that data and that technology to the forefront to say, these are our members. And if you're in a low risk group, we're just going to kind of check in with you, make sure you have what you need. Maybe you need a community support. Maybe you need to know about your transportation benefits. If you're medium rising, what are the interventions that we can undertake? If you're pre-diabetic, what can we do? If you're asthmatic and you're not, you know, refilling your inhalers, why not? Right? Is it because those you don't the have the money, right? And right. how do we help? And those are the things that I think, you know, when you're a physician, it's fast. There's only so many hours in the day. There's so many folks that need your attention. And this is sort of that supplement to come in and provide that additional wrap support. And so when I look at all these things that are happening, in states like California, New York, Washington, where we're sort of expanding the program and saying health is more than that moment when you're at the doctor and you're sick. It's about how we intervene early, maybe change how you live your life every single day, the food that you buy, what you have access to, how you prepare meals. If you're a working mom on Medicaid and you have kids, it's rough. Who's cooking dinner? Right? We actually have a kids cooking class, by the way, which is super fun, trying to teach kids safe ways to be in the kitchen and to prepare easy things in the event that they need that. So there's just so that, I would say the regulatory piece is a huge piece. And if you're not, if it's not there, right, it becomes a very different program. We've also rolled CHIP or Children's Health Insurance Program into Medi-Cal, Medicaid in California years and years ago. So it is just one comprehensive umbrella. So it's not two separate programs that we're trying to administer. And then the second part is really around bringing in these alternate services providers like medically tailored meals providers as actual providers in our Medicaid delivery system that now give us data and we exchange data with them so that we're able to track and understand what's going on. So when you look at all of this, I think there's a lot of opportunity and I could talk for hours about this. Our most needy members, so in California, about, oh gosh, 5% or less of the membership drives over 50% of the cost. So how do you get that information from the people you're serving, how you're improving their health, how you're improving their health literacy. How do you turn that into numbers? So when people feel comfortable, they tell you things. And when they tell you things, you can help them. You can get them to the right places. You could find out something as simple as, I don't like the doctor that I was assigned to because they don't speak my language and I'm not comfortable. I'm not sure what they're saying. And it's great to have a translator, but maybe it doesn't work for this specific member. And so they're missing out. How do we translate it into numbers? It's partnership across the board and you can see it. No health plan is perfect. Certainly not in California. I think you know that previous to 2019, our quality standard was something like 25th percentile nationally was the benchmark. We've moved that to 50th percentile and it's per individual measure. And every single health plan is working to get there. What we do see is we see the improvement, especially with the at-risk groups that we work with. And by that, I mean financially at risk, not that they're 
at risk, but our provider groups that are taking capitation, that are taking upside and downside risk in their arrangements with us come to the table and we collaborate and we work really hard to lift those quality measures because they're things like cervical cancer screening. Right? And when you have that collaboration and we're able to real time say, this is what our team is saying that they're seeing in the community. This is what your doctors, your nurse practitioners, your medical assistants say they're seeing in the, in the community that they serve. How do we put this together? How do we tailor and design? Again, it's a limiter because every community has such different needs. So I think we're at this really interesting point right now where technology is evolving so quickly that it's going to give us the opportunity to maximize those human touches because we spend a lot of time right now on paperwork and spreadsheets that needs to go away. So two questions are, do you get feedback from the providers who are integrated in the network on how, what they're seeing in their patient population and improving health outcomes and measures? And then two, do you see anything in the horizon that you would like to change not change because it's not going well but improve so providers are amazing i actually spend a lot of time with them many of them have my phone number i don't know how that happened but it's a gift i will tell you this you know early on in my career someone said feedback is a gift and i never thought i would be at a place in my life where all i do is go out so if i'm out in the community i'm talking to folks asking them how are we doing how are we doing for you the first thing everyone says is great and then you say hey if there's one thing i could change what would it be most people have a thing providers are the same way. So it's about relationship building, spending time with them. We have provider advisory committees in every market that we serve so that we can ask them how we're doing. We can run ideas past them and say, hey, we want to start this new program. What do you think about this? Or give us feedback about maybe where we have blinders and we don't realize that we have an opportunity. And oh my goodness, do our safety net providers show up for us? So I'm very excited. I'm actually leaving here to go spend time with a bunch of them in Los Angeles at the California Primary Care Association annual conference, which is largely our federally qualified health centers. I mean, I think this is a true example of partnership of work that's being done in the community, because quite frankly, you know, you, you said it earlier, as clinicians, we're really there to diagnose and treat and manage. And as much as we want to integrate with our patients on their life outside of the office, we don't have that luxury of time. And so being able to have a true partner in the community that we know, one, we can trust, two, is we're on the same mission and being able to get that feedback is what I think all healthcare systems need because the load is heavy for both. But if we don't have programs set up to alleviate some of that pressure, then that's why we see that healthcare is failing right now why we see so much morbidity and mortality in chronic disease states. So I think that this is a beautiful way to see it in a model that's very widespread and also see why can't we do this, you know, other places and in other states. If you were to capture your your time that you've spent since 2020 till now 2023, what would you say are the biggest accomplishments that you've seen in that time frame? Oh my goodness, we survived a historic bid process, which is a really big darn deal. So California hadn't been out to bid in the Medicaid space for many years. Most states actually bid on a routine basis. So we we did get through that and I'm happy and relieved to say that we're staying. You look like you're very relieved. (laughs) So relieved. It It was a rough few years. And we've really been working at the forefront of implementing all of these new programs that our regulator is is putting out and doing it in a way where we bring in our community partners. I think a really great example of 
sort of the spirit with which we're trying to lead is happening right now in San Diego, where we're spearheading a street medicine pilot. And so this is, yes, three times a week. We've put this pilot together with funding from our regulator, which is wonderful. Thank you if you're listening, DHCS. Love you for it. Thank you, thank you. But the best part about it is that the regulator said, hey, we have money. Do you want to put something together and design it? And we said, great. And then I looked at what we put together and I said, this is really good because this is more than just going into the street, meeting people where they're at and doing wound care. This is about preventative care in the field. This is about getting healthy, appropriate meals to folks that maybe at best are getting a packet of instant oatmeal, socks on feet, things like that. Right. And so we said, this is so good. We don't want to do it alone. So we invited all of the other Medi-Cal plans that operate in San Diego to join us. And we are all now out and about three times a week in the areas of San Diego where most of our folks tend to hang out, taking care of them exactly where they are in collaboration. So again, I think there's this piece of how do you align on those common goals and what the most important thing is? And if the most important thing is that we say, we're going to work to keep people healthy and give them opportunity to have an optimal health outcome. And then everything else just does tend to work out, which I know sounds a little bit wild these days. No, I think that the intention is there prior to making these connections and the outcome is what you expected, right? So you kind of put into what you thought was going to happen and it happened. So I think it does sound crazy, but when you go in there believing it's going to change people's lives, then it absolutely can. One thing that I've, I've pulled from everything that you've said is collaboration, intention, and then also community are three really big factors into how programming outside of the actual medical office and the work that's done clinically can enhance and also encourage a patient towards wanting better for themselves, but also being able to achieve it. Those are two different things. You know, you can have a lot of people who expect the best for themselves, but they don't have the support system or the access to be able to do it. And I think even when you look at disease state as far as whole hypertension, you know who that typically happens to, but also not only who's most diagnosed with it, but who dies from it. That's what we're seeing. That gap is not being filled with the actual nurturing education for someone, therefore, to take the stand on their own because they've been given the wheels to do so and, and to being able to run with that. So I think what you're doing is phenomenal. Your energy is very apparent and is palpable and I think this is what you know programs like what you're leading need they need the passion behind it but they also need the belief in the outcome and I think that from what you've stated today it is very evident and so I think I thank you for your work even coming from the clinical side because that's everything that we could ever hope for but many times we don't know where to find it or where to get it so you really are a, a true patient advocate so Thank you so much for your time today on this official health podcast. And I look forward to following you and hearing more of what you're accomplishing in our communities. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're still there, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We will be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Health Matters. That's H-L-T-H Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. See you next time.